0: Hello, friends. This is the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. The goal of the Alphalist podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Sastrify. After years of growth at all costs, it's now all about efficiency. All CTOs who feel they are spending too much time and money on their tech stack should pay attention now. Sastrify, an established partner of the Alphalist CTO community, is the automated SaaS procurement solution for IT and finance teams. Sastrify's procurement experts centralize and automate the management of your SaaS subscriptions and can reduce your SaaS spend by up to 35% as well as save you up to 20 man hours per month. Minimal effort for you. Sastrify negotiates the best terms with SaaS vendors like Miro, Asana, or Salesforce for existing contracts as well as for upcoming renewals. At OMR, we have already used Sastrify ourselves to significantly reduce the cost and complexity of our tech stack. Leading companies like Westwing, Adidas, Fantastic, and Sender are also using Sastrify to solve their procurement challenges and rapidly grow their runways. For case studies, further information on how Sastrify works, visit alpha list. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby, and today our topic our topic is focus on business value. And with me today is Vikas Gupta. He's the CTO of the company Shoko. For the ones you who don't know Shoko, he's going to explain it later on, but. Um, he worked as director of engineering at Dropbox and head of engineering for financial products at Uber before. So he moved to Berlin for Shoko. Um, so he has quite a quite an ambitious history, I would say. Um, so Vikas, looking forward to talk about the topic today. Uh, and uh, thanks for being here with me and the podcast.
1: Great. Uh, excellent. Toby, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I must say this is my first podcast. So if I'm a bit nervous or sound nervous, just let me know. Uh, But yeah, uh, excited to be here and excited to be in Berlin. It's actually almost two years now uh, since I moved from San Francisco, Silicon Valley. And uh, as you said, the last company I worked at was Dropbox. That was for for a very brief moment, though. uh, But most of my career was spent at Uber and at Facebook prior to this. Uh, So yeah, really excited for the work that we're doing here at Choco.
0: So maybe a few words about Choco. I think you collected like over 300 million and... (laughs) I, I yesterday was joking that it's like kind of the digital metro, like the Germans among us know know, know the metro, and where like people from uh, people who run a restaurant are, are regularly going to to buy the food, etc. Is that correct or?
1: Yeah, it's like Costco of USA that you may say uh, you know Metro is exactly that, but but for Choco, I think I, I, I would start actually zoom out a little bit more, and the purpose the Choco exists is for the food food sustainability and reducing the food waste. Uh, when we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, 24% of that comes from the food systems. Comparatively, 14% comes from the transportation, and that's a number that people don't realize because a lot of focus goes on autonomous vehicles, uh, electric vehicles, and, and so on and so forth, which is great. But food system, which the entire population of the planet consumes, uh, account for 24%, and on top of it, the 40% of that food which is produced gets wasted. So 40%, just think for, for a second for that number, it's just huge. And that amounts to 8%. If you just do the math, 8% of that is global greenhouse emission that's wasted. Now, taking that into factor and we think about, okay, who are the biggest consumers of the food? Uh, hospitality industry, of course, turns out one of the top. Consumers of the food, and that's where our focus is. Uh, our focus is to really bring this entire hospitality food supply chain online, uh, which is quite fragmented right now, quite disconnected, and quite offline. So uh, with Choco platform, just to give a very brief idea, we connect the suppliers and the vendors, which Metro, as you said, is one of one of them, uh, who could use Choco or Edica or Lidl or you know uh, Cisco or any other big vendors out there, to the restaurants and and to Uh, to the institutions that use Choco to place their orders. And by doing so, we are actually bringing both demand and supply on the platform and bringing these relationships, these partnerships that exist offline onto Choco and digitizing the entire workflow that they use, which today, by the way, when I learned about this, I I just couldn't believe. 99% of the orders are are going through SMS, WhatsApp, voicemail or emails. They are not connected in any way. So not only there are mistakes in the order that goes through, but then you don't benefit from the data that you could be collecting on how to make this entire supply chain better. So that's what Choco is, is to digitize the, the food supply chain, starting with the vendors and the restaurant industry.
0: Which I, I think is a hard thing, right? I, I mean, I know <laughs> but, a few restaurant owners, and uh, to convince them to use some software might be... The key problem of your business, right? Or the key challenge?
1: I mean, this is actually a good challenge, but also
0: an interesting
1: one. uh, Because when you walk into the chef kitchen, for example, right? uh, They are busy cooking. I mean, that's what they like doing. That's what they're proud of doing. Uh, But on top of it, they have to now also look at their pantry, look at the kitchen, look at what stocks they have and also place an order, which they generally do at the end of the day. And it's so massive problem for them, which they don't want to deal with, exactly as you said. But that's where the technology can come into play and automate most of these processes for them where they don't have to think about, do I have my tomatoes? Do I have the fish that I need tomorrow? Uh, and by using leveraging the data, the order history and their uh, their order patterns, we can really bring forth uh, the way they can be automating this stuff. So yeah, uh, it's a hard problem, but I must say that Um, as much as, you know, if you know Uber Eats and Walt and Lifrando, they digitize front of the house with POS systems, you know, where you can place orders. The back of the house, which are the stocks, the inventory management, there is actually more inclination towards it. Um, And they they are willing to try different solutions. We just have to come in with the right solution uh, that solves the problem. And that's what we are trying to do.
0: Okay. Okay. But I, I can imagine that it's kind of a challenge that can be solved, right? If you are connected to all the different systems in the, in, in in a restaurant, like, uh, you know, which food has been ordered and, uh, to, to, to what that actually, uh, derives towards like in ingredients, et cetera, that, that this kind of is something you can learn with like a deep model learning model, or is that, is that true? Like, is that the, the vision at the end or is that reality already?
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, um, part of it is reality. Part of it is what we want to plan to work on. Um, uh, but if if I just step back a little bit for Choco, right? We start uh, with the suppliers, um, and we try to understand what their user flows are, uh, how they receive orders, uh, how they confirm the orders, and how they deliver the orders. Um, mm. And and then from from there, we go deeply into their workflows. Mm. Many of them have ERP systems. Some mm. of them will be very modern, like QuickBooks or SAP. Some of them will be like 1995 uh, uh, terminal-based systems, right? So. So we need to integrate into their systems, understand how they manage their catalogs, their warehouses, how do they do their service desk, and bring all of that learnings into understanding and bringing a right solution for the suppliers. Now, by doing so, suppliers would want their restaurants and their customers to use Choco as well, because that's where the real efficiency gains start to come in. Uh, And from there, we go to the restaurants uh, of the suppliers and really educate them and, and guide them to your point about using choco so they can drive order efficiency. Uh, Then they can do stock taking, for example, you know, what's on your menu, what are your recipes, what you actually need on a day-to-day basis, how much you're consuming, and then uh, try to automate as much of that possible where uh, you don't have to worry about will you have tomatoes because we will know uh, based on your order history that we can place the orders. Uh, And since we integrate with the suppliers, we also know the supplier may or may not have the tomatoes that you need tomorrow. So we can offer a substitute product for that matter as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So these are complicated systems, you know, that really need to work together at a global scale as well, because we are a global company. Uh, but that's where the beauty lies and, and a lot of product challenges lie as well. So so really working towards it.
0: Okay. Um, thanks a lot. Um, very, very interesting. And we could uh, essentially talk for an hour about, about <laughs> Choco, but that's not what we're here for. Um, I want to start with my first, like, more more or less personal question. What is your personal journey as a geek or nerd? I don't know how how you consider yourself. Like when when did you start? How did you get into computing and why? Um and and why did it did it stick?
1: Yeah, I'm. I that's a that's a you know I have to go back to my childhood, which I I won't reveal my age, but you know it it goes a very long way back. Uh, the first time I. I was introduced to programming was in my ninth grade. Uh, before that, I never seen any laptop or, I mean, there were no laptops back then, there were only quite a few, uh, but PCs or uh, desktops. So I I did my first programming in Pascal, uh, where we did simple binary search, you know, uh, algorithmic searches and, and stuff like that. And where I really got hooked to it. Uh, I was good at maths and with computers, I could really put all the mathematical principles that I was learning. Into coding and practice, and that's where I, I really liked uh, doing programming. And from that time onward, I continued to stay. You know, uh, I got my first laptop, and I loved. I, I used to love programming games, so I used to uh, do some games. I, I designed some board games. Uh, one of which, the other day, I was playing with my son uh, Battleship. Uh, if If you may know of the game, so I designed sure. that that game as well uh, when I was in the tenth grade. So, yeah, um, my love for programming continued there. And then uh, I did my bachelor's in electronics and communication. uh, But I continued to do programming on the side. And finally, my master's in computer science at Indiana University in USA. That's where I got more into the operating systems, into the compilers and and things like that. Yeah. And from there on, uh, started working in Silicon Valley. Uh, My first company was actually a mobile gaming company. In 2004, believe it or not, you know, before iPhones, I I started doing programming on the on Nokia Series 60, Blackberries, uh, uh, J2ME, Brew. Like those were the devices back it's then.
0: Exciting, <laughs> exciting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so I used to those uh, I did, did those, and that's where you got to understand, you know, how you can do a lot more with limited resources you have on the hardware, right? Limited CPU power, limited memory. So you got very frugal uh, with, with with the coding that you were doing. Uh, so I did that for many, many years. And through a series of events uh, led to it be at Facebook uh, in 2010, uh, where I worked uh, in the mobile partnerships team. And I mean, looking back at the time, the mobile team at Facebook also was very quite small. Uh, so we were one of the first pioneers of uh, mobile uh, programming and mobile ecosystem at, at Facebook as well. So yeah, worked there for a few few years and then led to Uber. Uh, just because I fell in love with the product there, uh, there was no reason to leave Facebook. It was really doing well. But I took my first Uber ride. I'm like, this has this is the future, this is where I need to be. So I joined Uber uh, and worked across, and that's where at Uber I worked across multiple, multiple domains. Uh, I did mobile infrastructure, test automation, CI CD pipelines, loyalty programs, uh, financial products towards the end of it. So I did many, many things, and then, um, then a brief moment at, at Dropbox, then here at Choco now. So quite a journey, uh, but I always stayed in love with programming, which, of course, uh, along the way I stopped doing. Uh, but uh, love technology as a mean to solve real problems in the world.
0: And... You ended up at Shoko because at Shoko because Daniel, the founder, said, "Ah, we urgently need like this international halo, and we need a CTO from Facebook and Uber, and uh, found you then, or how did that work?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I had no intent to move out of uh, California, right? It's, it's beautiful weather. There's nothing there's nothing to complain about anything there. Uh, But then somehow I got, and of course, you know, in these positions, you get a lot of these inbounds from recruiters, which I tend to ignore uh, quite a lot because, you know, when you're really doing doing what you're doing, but somehow, somehow this one caught my attention. Um, And I looked at this, I got on the phone. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. I'm just interested. What are you doing in the food sustainability space? And that's when they said, hey, this job is in Berlin. I'm like, wait, what? I'm not moving to Berlin uh, <laughs> but, but you know then, then they said hey just talk to Dan uh, the CEO and then Dan has his own ways of convincing people in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. and I got to realize actually this is a big problem that no one is looking at. Uh, when Dan shared the numbers that I shared early in the call here, I was blown away. I'm like, you know I have done social networking, I have done ride sharing now I'm doing uh, computing and storage at Dropbox, but what you know food sustainability? It touches every human being. So yeah, uh, so I decided to move and uh, really happy that I did this because really moving good grounds here at Choco and a lot of work to be done.
0: can imagine. And um, what are the expectations? Like, I mean, if the halo is gone a bit and uh, (laughs) the the glitter after after, after a while, what are the expectations then to someone who comes from Dropbox uh, if you you, uh, start in a in a, in a venture backed heavily venture backed company in Berlin
1: yeah that's a that's an excellent question actually um, if I may say this, this this connecting the dots right I, I love to connect the dots uh, because it always works out the reason I moved to Dropbox after uber was when I was talking to a few of the companies uh, like hey what what's interesting going on in the world there are a lot of positive change or a lot of things that could really drive influence and and interrupt the things in positive way were happening on the enterprise space. But I had never had experience of doing so, right? Working in a B2B space. So with Dropbox, I had the opportunity. I, I was actually leading the engineering team for HelloSign. It's like DocuSign. Mm-hmm. Um, I was leading the team there. So that's where I got to realize how enterprises work. How does the sales cycle work? How do you build a product, not for the masses, not for the billions of consumers, which Uber and, and Facebook was about, but for very pristine, very uh, small pool set of suppliers, vendors, enterprise customers, and make sure the product is just right. Um, so that's what I learned at Dropbox, but I was coming to Choco to answer your questions. I mean, at the end, I think about my role as, as enabling the business and the product, the user value, then sustaining it, and then scaling it, right? These are the three roles. Uh, you have to first enable the right product in the market for the right users at the right time with the right value proposition. Um, so that's what we do every day uh, as the Cto is my role as much as about the technology is about are we working on the right products are we building the right value do we understand the problem space um, every line of code has to count towards something meaningful for the users so that's the first thing that you know I quickly learned uh, at choco is that we have to pivot very quickly uh, so we worked on that for for the first few months
0: so and that then- you actually start working on you uh, on, on business value or yeah i
1: mean business value was clear right when, whenever you start a company you know the mvp you know that there's yeah, a, there's yeah. a, there's clear value that you can bring but it's one thing to put, put an mvp and get 100 users on it but to scale it to 1000 and then 10000 and 100000 it requires a whole different thought process behind it so so at choco we we, we tried many things right uh, we we I, we tried payments uh, we we tried few other things but we finally realized the real value comes when suppliers Find efficiency in what we do for them, and how restaurants use this choco. So yes, uh, we with the value proposition became clearer and clearer for us, mm, mm. and that's where you know if, if you are in the in the leadership position, as much as I'm looking at the engineering technology, I'm also looking at is it bringing the right value to the user? So right, so that's what uh, working with with Dan, our CEO, uh, with Kevin now is our chief operating officer, and our head of product, Karo. Uh, we we continuously look at that uh, and continue to drive the value. So that's one part of it. Uh, but then, you know, once you build the value, you have to sustain it, meaning uh, you have to make sure the quality is great. Um, if you have outages and incidents, you can resolve them quickly. You learn from them. Uh, you bring the right teams and talent in, into the team. Um, and then you make sure they are working on, on the right problems. So you sustain that growth and the product value that you're bringing. But then ultimately you want to scale the business and the product as well. Um, and
0: Maybe yeah. maybe yeah. before we, 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 we dive too deep there, um, a few questions. You just mentioned that you also like the tech stack and uh, working with it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe first of all, like what what is your tech stack? Where's, your, where's the focus and where's actually like the secret sauce um, in your tech stack? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. tech is like these days, sometimes a bit of a boring thing. And which parts aren't boring, maybe, first of all? Um, and, and, and how does it look like? And then we deep dive um, on, on business value.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. So, I mean, tech, the technology is a mean to an end, right? Uh, that's how I see it. That's how we at Choco sees it. Um, the, the idea for us is, can we build something quickly uh, with, the, with the technology that enable us to do so fast and get out to the market? Uh, and continue to build and iterate faster so with that in mind right uh, we we use aws serverless architecture because then you don't have to manage uh, the the servers and and the developer ops team can be quite small there
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: it, it provides the flexibility the scalability of the platform that you need without having to worry yourself about too much of it right
0: so uh, no no kubernetes etc no, but okay
1: no kubernetes we we are starting to do it a little bit now and and that's also the part of the story right uh, you don't start building the castle from day one, right? You start small, you build up, you build your way up there. Uh, so we do serverless. Uh, it got us off the ground very quickly, right? Uh, then on the backend, we use Node.js with TypeScript. Uh, and, and then we do React with micro front end for web. And then on the mobile, we we do native, right? Swift with for iOS and Kotlin for, for Android. Okay. But that's also where now we are going cross-platform, right? That's also part of the story where, Uh, You know, it served us quite well for the last four years, but how how bigger the teams have become, uh, how complex the product has become and how fast we want to move, we realized that we have to go beyond just native development to more cross-platform development as well. So now we are starting to do Flutter uh, for our mobile development. And we, in fact, have one project going on right now that we want to ship in the next few weeks uh, with Flutter. Uh, So that's our tech stack. Uh, And of course, we use... sns sqs uh, standard aws tools for notifications for queuing services and things like that and mm-hmm. elastic search for the search engine
0: and is there any anything um like just between us um is there anything you regret like any technology or any technological decisions where where you think it was like really a bad thing i mean everyone has that so we can be quite quite open um is, is yeah
1: yeah, I mean, um, I, I would not say there's always a bad. There's never a bad decision. There's a decision you make in the moment with the information yeah. you have and the
0: people yeah, that yeah, you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Obviously. Um,
1: so for us, I, I would say that the decision to move to cross platform could have been done a little sooner, um, mm-hmm. because as you build up the teams, right? You people, you bring people with native development experience, and then with mm-hmm. that, you build certain frameworks, you build analytics, you build modular modular frameworks. Uh, all of, so we invested a lot in in the native development to suddenly come one day and say, hey, we have to then move to completely different tech stack uh, for Flutter, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, which we could have done sooner. Uh, In hindsight, yes, it could have been done sooner. But if I also reflect one year back, was not the right time to do it either, right? So there are both Mm -hmm. parts to it. uh, But that would be one thing that I would say uh, we could have done a little bit faster as, as well. And then uh, we, we use REST API also doing GraphQLs now uh, with Monolith. So we could have break, broken up our services faster, which took us a while, but we have finally broken up the services into more manageable
0: architecture. Well, I can t- t- tell you that many who started with microservices uh, now move back to Monolith. So <laughs> I think it's like always, it, it always comes in waves, right? Technology yes, exactly. And, and, and why... Um, do you then use Flutter and not React Native, where you would have like um, a deeper connection in the team maybe already?
1: I exactly. I, I, so the, uh, the, the interesting thing is we are just starting to publish actually a series of blog posts. Yeah. Uh, about the our journey to Flutter. Uh, in fact, the first one was published yesterday
0: ah,
1: on cool. why what, on why we chose Flutter, uh, and then the second one is, you know, why why we went cross-platform. That is the first blog post that went Mm -hmm, out yesterday. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the second one is like why we chose Flutter. So that one is going out in a day or two. Um, But we we did a task force, right? And the idea was you evaluate three technologies, Ionic, Flutter, and React Native. And uh, the five dimensions that we wanted to look at, one was uh, the the, the design systems, the ease of migrations, the developer experience, the long-term viability, and then, of course, the collaboration between the teams, something that gets overlooked, uh, but if teams are lean and small and collaborate better, uh, where people can really from the web side or from the native side can come together on a common platform, agree on certain principles and move fast, that allows things to move quickly. So based on these five dimensions, um, I would say Flutter really stood out well uh, across four out of the fives and uh, ended up with the right uh, decision for us where both the web engineers and the native engineers are now coming together to learn Flutter, uh, the Dart language, which is also very uh, very quite similar to TypeScript on the web. So web engineers mm-hmm. are also okay mm-hmm. learning it. Uh, well, versus if you were to do React Native, to your point, then the the web engineers would have to do a little less because it's React. But then native engineers had to move completely over to the other side and learn React Native. Uh, but given the support that we receive from Google in... Uh, in Google I.O. a couple of weeks ago, they spoke a lot about Flutter and what they're building and, and doing there. Uh, it seems like the right technology for us uh, to move forward mm-hmm.
0: with. Mm-hmm. So I understood it's because of the native engineers mostly then. Um,
1: I mean, also the long-term viability, right? If you look yeah, at... Yeah, um, yeah, right. the, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the kind of contributions, you know, if you look at mm-hmm. uh, stack overflow, and and it's a it's lot more. There's a lot more activity happening on the Flutter side in the community yep. as well. Yeah,
0: um,
1: sure. and, and And the collaboration, as to your point, yes. So those were, were sure. the critical things.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, then, uh, like, one question where, like, Almost every CTO kind of feels guilty. Uh, So do I. Um, I I had a few, made a few decisions in my past or tried a few technologies just for the sake of trying a technology and just for the sake of learning something new. Like I recently had an interview where the interviewer told me that He would love to try a vector database. He doesn't have a use case, but he would like to try that, which for me was like a bit of a red flag because I um, honestly did the same mistake in the past and know that it was a mistake. How do you prevent this on an organization at scale from your perspective? Um, And how do you make sure that people accept working with maybe... A boring technology. Let's take Postgres as an example, right? Very stable, can almost solve all data data data, um, data requirements. How do you convince people to do that? And um, on an organizational level, how do you make sure that that you align?
1: I mean, th- that's that's an excellent question, right? So there's uh, always this halo around new technologies uh, that you know the the vector database you were just talking about. I mean. The first thing is the kind of engineering culture you establish at your organization, right? Um, Where it's not about building technology or building something for the sake of building it, but really realizing that how quickly you can get this into the hands of your users and bring user value to them uh, from day one, uh, so to say. So that's how, you know, if the engineering culture is driven by that, then most of the time you will also know if you're picking up certain technology, is it for the sake of technology or is it because you are actually stuck uh, moving your business forward or product forward? So you need to now reassess and move to a different technology, right? So that's always a choice that teams have to make, uh, your architects have to make, but as a culture, you have to support it. So to me, um, fundamentally, it's all about how every team is contributing towards the business goals. And Mm -hmm. if I may use an example, right? we, at Choco, for example, we started doing uh, what we call maker, maker's quarter. Um, I mean, people are familiar with maker's day, right, where there's no meeting. So we, re- we really extended it all the way to the quarter and really making sure that every team knows what they want to build and how they want to build and in what timeline they want to build and deliver it to the users. So we cut down any any distraction, including... Hey, uh, for example, we talked about serverless Kubernetes. Some teams like, hey, we want to try Kubernetes. Dockerize our you know, applications would be great. I'm like, what value does it bring to the user? You, the, the vendor does not care about whether you're using Docker or not. They care about, are you building the value and the, the product that will benefit me? So having that re- honest conversation really solved a lot of the problems uh, being in the room. So so that's what we try to do. Uh, with Maker's Quarter, we are actually creating a rhythm, discipline, where every team knows what they want to build um, and they have to commit to it and build it and ship it. Uh, Along the way, of course, sometimes, you know, you realize that, hey, this database is not serving my needs anymore or this re-architecture needs to happen. Uh, Then you come back to the table and and discuss it. Uh, But it's it's all about putting the right teams together with the right mindset, which is more towards the user and the value that you bring to the user.
0: Mm -hmm. And if you made a decision or the team made a decision uh, which it later on regrets, and you want to move to a simpler technology that um, serves the user more, how do you make sure this actually happens? Like, it, it, do you make sure this happens? Or do you say, ah, you chose Kubernetes, and now let's live with Kubernetes because removing Kubernetes takes us half a year? Um, or, or how do you how do you treat that? I mean,
1: yes. I mean, you also have to live with the devils, right? Uh, it's, I think it's always about a constant struggle and balance between, the, I think, let's look at this. You have certain amount of capacity, right? Even if you say 100 engineers, you have 100 engineers, you don't have 101, uh, and you have certain hours in a day and, and then you have a business that needs to move forward. So you have to just look at all these three things together. You have time, you have people, and then you have product. And how do you balance the three? For example, if you if you say, hey, undoing Kubernetes and moving back, you know, it's gonna take us six months. Is it a devil you can live with a little bit longer, uh, where you know that in six months you can actually push forward business a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, get more revenue, or bring more value to the users, and then um, and then at some point you then make a decision. Okay, we're gonna live with it for a little longer. Maybe we need five more people that we can add to the team over the next six months. And then come to the decision of of transitioning or migrating to something different Mm. Uh, but it's it's never the answer is never a yes or a no it's always a balance between the two Mm. Mm. and Mm. as a leader as a tech lead or as an engineer you're always striking that balance Mm. Uh, but the most important thing we as leaders can do is to have enable an environment to have these kind of conversations Uh, never never say no to anything but also never be open to any any new shiny technology but rather uh, assess it, be thoughtful and then make a
0: decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you had a case now, you start, let's say you start at Choco, and let's say the front end technology that they chose was JS in the past, <laughs> um, which uh, like almost no one uh, apart from LinkedIn uses still. Um, and there's a small team like three, four people and you know, or let's say 10 people and you know you, you want to get rid of it at a certain point, but you also want to move the product forward and the team tells you, ah, we have to stop working on features now. We have to just rebuild everything and it will take us till next year. Um, can we do this or not? What would you say?
1: I would say, let's uh, define a timeline for this. Um, the first decision you make is like, is it the right decision to move away? In, as you said, JS, right? Uh, then, if the decision feels like, yes, we should, then it's not like you drop everything and then you start doing that work. Yeah, um, You start defining a timeline uh, of that migration to happen, which can be over the weeks and the month and maybe over the year, right? Um, but then you create space for those migrations to happen while you're also building the product, but you're also uh, contributing to these migrations. To give another example, right? Uh, we, we had similar issue at Choco where Suddenly, it became all about product, product, and product, right? Um, which to sometimes feel like, hey, we became a feature factory now. Uh, we're just building features, but we are not taking care of the foundations of our, mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. our architecture. Mm-hmm. If we don't do it, then we're going to struggle a bit more in six months. And in one year, it's going to really be bad for us. So then the decision was, okay, uh, as tech leads, highlight what are your must-fix problems. Uh, what are your should fix and you know just create a sequence of these things you want to take care of. Uh, and then we will, will, we do what we call excellence days, right? Um, and excellence days is where two days in a month we have engineers focus nothing but on the technical topics, right. Uh, and uh, there the other framework would be 80-20, right eighty 80% percent product, twenty percent platform or something in some form of combination but we realize that with excellence days, uh, if you go in with a very clear target, like in two days, this is what we're going to accomplish and you do nothing but that, then at the end of the two days, you have made some progress. Mm. Then you repeat it next month and then repeat it next month. And then over the period of one year, you would have made a lot of improvements uh, to where yep. you want to be. Uh, yep. This works when of course, uh, when house is not on fire, right? But if the house is on fire, then yes, you're willing to drop everything Uh, and and fix that. Uh, I had that scenario just two weeks ago uh, where uh, we do integrations with the ERP systems of the supplier, and the infrastructure was having outages, Uh, uh, two outages back-to-back, right? Uh, One was database outage, one was CPU throttling outage, and things like this. And I literally went on Monday, I'm like, team, drop everything on the roadmap product that you're doing, and for one week, I want you to work on just strong uh, hardiness of your infrastructure. And I Mm. made that decision as well. Mm. So, you know, you're you're willing to trade things when you need to, but but general, the guideline would be plan better, organize your teams better, then uh, balance your product with your platform bets and initiatives you want to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Um, Okay, yeah, house is on fire, obviously. Uh, You have to treat it immediately, but like a big replatforming where, like, let's say... 60%, 70% 60% 70% of your code base is affected in a way um i personally would say that normally doesn't exist it's like something that some CTOs if they jump in say okay yeah we have to change everything um and but 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 from my experience at least there's no problem which is or no infrastructure that, is, that that's as bad as um this to to kind of stop everything and to rebuild everything. Would you agree or?
1: Uh, it, it 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 depends, right? Uh, <laughs> what for? Uh, I'm just thinking, trying to think of an example, right? So if if I take Choco as an example, right? When you start building a product, uh, you don't know what will be what it will be like in four years, or in fact, in two years. Four years is already a long time horizon. So when you don't know the use cases, you don't plan for it. And when you don't plan for it, your architecture doesn't scale for it. And when you don't scale for it, and then suddenly the new requirement come, which you have not accounted for, suddenly you are duct taping it, right? Uh, suddenly you are making compromises here and there, making are hacking into the solutions, right? It's okay for a little while, but then someone has to raise the, either the red flag or the yellow flag. You know, red flag is like house on fire. Yellow is like, hey, mm-hmm. this in six months will not scale anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just had this discussion last week about what we call order guide, right? As a restaurant, you have an order guide that you use to place an order. Uh, but that order guide is becoming more nuanced, uh, more sophisticated. And, and it just doesn't work in the structure that we have. Then I asked the team, put it on your Q3 roadmap right, um, and we will do one product feature less if we have to, because we have to get this right. So so yeah, I mean, um, it, it just depends on what 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 you're dealing with any given day.
0: Well, let's stay with my emberJS um, example. Uh, I mean emberJS is kind of outdated technology, uh, almost everyone knows that. but if you let's say you want to stop everything and then take a break of six months and then you don't you can't clearly say, what is the business value that we generate using React afterwards, um, and you just say, yeah generally we will we will be faster and delivering more um, yeah what what would be your opinion on that
1: I mean great great point. So let's say you, this Ember.js you uses technology there are multiple aspects to it. Can you hire people with the skills that you need for this? Probably not, right? So your hiring will slow down because you don't have the skills uh, in the market to to work on this technology anymore. Uh, Second is um, it's it's legacy code. So over a period of time, it probably leads to more bugs, more outages and more issues. So you need to quantify that. Uh, You need to say, hey, these bugs and these issues that we're dealing with actually cutting down, cutting into the time that we could use to do the product development otherwise. So you have to start quantifying these things And then you say, by by doing this, you can actually gain 20% more efficiency because you can ship things faster. Uh, That is more hard to quantify, but at some point you also have to trust your guts and your leadership and your technical acumen ship to start making these decisions. Uh, But ultimately I would assume this is put in the context of getting support from the leadership, like from the CEO, from the board, but that's where you have to start quantifying with data. Like, hey, we had these five outages last month, three of them were because of this technology. Uh, or we had ten bugs which impacted users, and we received these five f- fierce emails from the suppliers that they will stop using it if we don't fix it. And then you you start uh, documenting it, quantifying it, and then you but you also come up with a clear plan uh, how you're going to fix it, right? Mm. The the challenge though is when you start doing this, you say three months, but it can take up to six months. So, it know, will always
0: take longer, right? It so. will
1: always take longer, right? But yeah, but but you start somewhere, and then you. You show progress along the way. Uh, But if it's many systems, then you start with one system or two systems. You don't overhaul the entire architecture all at once. Uh, And you slowly make your way towards where you want to be, the ideal state.
0: So you maybe rather work with micro frontends than, I mean, it's a frontend technology, right? You you rather work with micro frontends and try to somehow build a bridge between old and new. And then you try to iteratively um, improve it, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. It's
0: a slow, iterative approach. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and how do you, in long term, on a leadership level, um, align on uh, delivering the right things and delivering business value? Like, I mean, um, if you have, let's say, a CTO, a CPO, um, and, and and you have business, and they all run very separate from each other's how, how do you make sure like on a leadership level um, how, how this can how, can work?
1: Yeah, I mean if they run separate from each other, you have a problem. Uh, they, uh, they should not run separate from each other. Uh, they should be on the on the track running in parallel parallel lanes, but those they should not be far ahead or far behind from each other I would say they have to be close to shoulder to shoulder to each other right uh, mm-hmm. on the track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, they are learning in their own lanes in that sense, right? Um, for us, the way we do it is it starts from the company uh, goals for a given year, right? Uh, it can be based on how many users you need to acquire, the retention, uh, the revenue, uh, the engagement metrics, whatever you have you want to track. And then from there, you uh, take it down or, or how many sales um, uh, sales uh, leads you need to convert, Right, and how many of them needs to retain after one year? So this is an exercise that is done in collaboration between product, uh, mostly between product and 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 uh, sales teams, our operations team, and they look at the product roadmap, they look at the sales cycle, and they marry the two and come up with okay, this is what we need to achieve by end of let's say second half of the year, and then you <clears throat> build your product uh, towards that goal, right? And then engineering comes in. Uh, at the same time, our tech leads and EMs understand, okay, why are we building certain products? So they can also validate whether something will take three months, six months, or something like this. And then they really coordinate this entire, what we say, uh, quarterly roadmap cycles, uh, which ops know, for example, hey, we, we are building this feature, it's gonna live and go live in three months. Then they go to the, to the customer, say, hey, uh, sign with Choco. And one feature that you're requesting will be live in three months. You, with confidence, you can say that uh, because that's what we committed to. So right, so you have to really plan together, uh, organize yourself together, then and then do check-ins together as well. Uh, raise any flags uh, where something may not get shipped, call it out. Um, or some new requirements come in because it happens over and over again. You talk to a very critical vendor. They say, I need this feature to sign the deal. You should be willing to adapt as well at the same time. So it's it's being being flexible uh, while knowing the direction you're taking. So that's okay. how we operate. Um, I I would say we have forums to connect uh, regularly with uh, with between these functions, right? Sales, engineering, and product. Uh, and then we have these roadmaps that guide the 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 build that we need to do.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, on a leadership level, is it important that people are on eye level or? Like in many companies, you see that CTO that has product below um, and then you have business uh, on eye level, et cetera, et cetera. Um, How do you think about that?
1: I mean, this is, again, this is many times depend on the product, what kind of product you have, uh, what kind of uh, sales cycle you have, uh, what kind of talent and leadership you have. I mean, at the end, you're trying to balance the talent, the experience, the business needs, uh, and and the right outcome that you want, right? So eye to eye level works, in my opinion, the best, right? Where you can really work together, but also challenge each other, right? If it's yeah. eye to eye level, uh, challenging becomes easier, right? You can be in conflict with each other, and that's okay. That's healthy for the business, right? Uh, that's healthy for the users. Uh, but sometimes I've also seen the chief technology officer is the same as chief product officer, right? Uh, And that's also fine, as long as you can wear both hats without bias towards one side or the other side, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I would always say that product product defines the technological direction, not the other way. Yeah. Uh, So you have to understand what product you build, and then based on that, you pick the right technology, the stack, the architecture, and then the scale. Uh, and the product is mostly influenced by the, if you're in a B2B space, it's mostly influenced by the sales cycles and the and the customer needs. So they, they work together uh, in that sense.
0: Yeah, I, I feel that uh, the modern CTO is often rather a CPO than a, than, a, than a classical CTO. I mean, as you said, depending on the product, but so many companies out there don't have as hard technological challenges as they think. Um, and a lot of companies start with the CTO, while the CTO is like at least equally important. Um, uh, you, would you agree or?
1: I I I, I would agree. Um, you know, you it's uh, given the tech stack how fast it has evolved, you can really glue something up and ship within a week or a month. Sure. It doesn't take a lot to build and ship something, but what you need is the vision and the strategy and the product. Uh, otherwise you you can be a fast engine, but if you don't have the steering wheels or you don't know which direction you're going, you can be going in circles, right? Um, so I would argue that uh, as a CTO, you, you've got to wear your product hat more than you need, more than I think we, we do. Um, and then you should be in the space where product decisions are getting made. Uh, you should be talking to the customers. In fact, you should be going out there and looking at how users are using your product, uh, engaging with it, uh, they bring so many ideas back to your teams, uh, and that's what I do, right? I uh, when I go to, for example, our office in Barcelona, I I meet customers. I uh, I do shadow calls on the customer support, right? What kind of issues uh, our users are raising, and and really, I'm going to Chicago in three weeks, where you know we'd like to understand what our users are dealing with in USA, uh, what, what the competitive landscape is out there, right? Uh, because that guides, guides your technological decisions as well. Uh, mm. You've got to be close to the product.
0: Mm. And um, if you inherit something as a CTO and you're more like a classical CTO, you often want to ensure the status quo is working out fine. Um, while many, I think, don't think about tomorrow so much, so don't don't think about the vision and the big picture. But if you are also then very busy with keeping the product alive and keeping the, the technology running, um, then it might even be better to realize, ah, maybe it's time to get in someone who's really good for product and who's not reporting to me, right?
1: Uh, getting good, uh, yes. Uh, you're saying if the CTO is also doing the product
0: themselves yeah 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 let's say you have someone responsible for both um uh and 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 that that's like many want this um right many cto's um (laughs) would would take this like straight away if they have a the opportunity but um many can't because they're so busy operating the status quo yeah
1: i mean that's an excellent question like you you your entire day can be run down by just doing Technical meetings, one-on-ones, just looking at the health metrics of your organization, like incidents, bugs, quality. Yes, absolutely. It can keep you busy throughout the day. Uh, You you have to create space uh, to think what's next, always. Never settle with what is given or what is handed out or what's working. Disrupt yourself, right? That's the best way to to keep innovating. Uh, And... If you can do it as a CTO while wearing your product hat, I know some of the people who do it really well. That's the best you can have. But if you if you are if you are self aware and you think you can, then yes, find the person who can help you with that, who can challenge a little bit more. Um, but you need a lot of visionaries for that as well.
0: So, um, really excellent answers you gave us so far, and uh, really um, like entertaining, but also. Lot to learn from you. Um, uh, maybe I, I I contact you for a coaching in the future. Uh, we, we we slowly have to come to the end. Um, and um, I have like one question. I always tend to ask at the end, um, which goes deep into your past. And in your past, in in 2010, you worked at Facebook, right? Yes. So do you know that Mark Zuckerberg actually built this? secret uh, tool under the uh, Metaverse platform, um, which he has been secretly working on, which um, I know about and you maybe don't. Um, It's called Time Machine. And it it actually allows without like a virtual reality glass to move back in time. Um, If you start up the technology and you enter a year and you enter a name, then we can just travel there. And um, we now make this exercise and um, we enter the year uh, 2010 and uh, your name and we travel back and see you starting as engineering manager at Facebook, working hard, learning from Mark and the others, uh, how Facebook culture works. And um, you now have the chance to whisper something into young Vika's ears. Um, What would it be?
1: I mean, in 2010, I just joined Facebook, and until then, I, I worked as, mostly as a software engineer where you know it was very clean roles and responsibilities. You, you build something and you ship something. But being there at Facebook, one thing I learned and which I was not good at is be bold, right? Uh, take risks. And, but also don't fret about small things. Mistakes will happen. Uh, I I used to get very concerned about not overdoing something because I may end up making mistake. So I was uh, a bit constrained on myself. So if I was to whisper something in my ears is like stay bold, be bold, make mistakes, uh, stay out of your comfort zone, right? Uh, Those are the critical aspects which pushes you into excellence every single day. Uh, That's one thing I would say, but, One other thing I have to say right now is in the leadership position, it's not, you know, once you become CTO or chief product officer or CEO, it's less about, yes, technology is important and product is important, but it's about people. Ultimately, it's the people who need to come together with you on the journey that you have envisioned to make it happen. So how do you inspire people is equally important for a leader. Uh, that means you have to articulate your thoughts. You have to communicate very precisely, but very cleanly to your people. You have to inspire them. You have to give them the purpose. And that's something you got to learn uh, if you want to go into the leadership position. So I would say back then, 2010, get two, three coaches and mentors who can really push me into that direction on how to articulate my thoughts, how to become better with people. And and, and so I can represent them and I, I, I can lead them as well.
0: Okay, so you have a coach or you had a coach on the way?
1: I did, yes.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, thanks a lot. Like part of that like perfectly fits to our CTO versus CPO uh, question beforehand. So um, thanks a lot, Vikas. It was really exciting to talk to you um, and uh, maybe we can repeat that in the future. I really wish you all the luck of the world um, and, and not just that, all the success of the world with Shoko um, uh, looking forward to meet you again.
1: Thank you, Toby. Thank you for having me. Wonderful talking to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the AlphaList podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com, send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.